0: Hello, and welcome to the Chengdu Living Podcast. It is uh, late August. My name is Dan, and I'm joined by Eli again, and our guest today is Andy McCauley. Andy is big in the soccer scene in Chengdu, uh, having started the Chengdu International Football League with uh, several several other expats in the city, and he just recently started uh, ADI, a recreational sports company. Or How would you describe it, Andy? Um... Mainly just Sports Coaching Company. Sports Coaching Company. Full disclosure, I am a coach for ADI. I've been working for them for the past several months. Um, It's been an awesome experience. Uh, Tell us what kind of business you do. Um, Well, the main part of our business is aimed at coaching
1: children. Mm -hmm. And um, we started with football because that's something that I was most comfortable with. And uh, we've recently broadened their scope and now we do tennis basketball hopefully soon to do swimming oh awesome and um yeah so if we can find some good coaches for a sport then we'll try and start a class
0: nice uh so before we get into our full discussion about ADI in that aspect of uh, what you're doing now um let's talk a little bit about uh your history with uh the soccer culture in Chengdu um how you made it to Chengdu in the first place and how uh, you and other foreigners, you know, sort of started the soccer scene here.
1: Yeah, I've been here eight years, and uh, I kind of came here to collect a debt. I'd loaned someone money.
2: Uh, you might know this fellow, Dwayne. <laughs> I know Dwayne quite well. I did not realize that you came to Chengdu because of Dwayne.
1: Uh, well, yeah, I, I I used to live with Terry and Dwayne in the same place in Taiwan, mm-hmm. and then uh, they moved here. And like I was kind of traveling through China and Vietnam, then I come up to visit them, and I, I intended at the time to like stay a year, study some Chinese, and move on. And here we are.
2: There's a lot of people with similar stories to that. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. Yeah. Did uh, did you actually have money that you were trying to chase down, or was it just? Yeah, I'd,
1: I'd loaned him like like ten thousand Kwai or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so and, and there me. was a debt to collect, and you know, it had to be done. So like, you know. And uh, when you came out here, were you a football player at the time? Uh, yeah, I'd been playing for the past couple of seasons in Taiwan, and um, I played for a team called Kaohsiung Massive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was great times out there. But I, there's there is a slight difference between Taiwan, the mainland, in football terms because all the Taiwanese locals play baseball, basketball. Mm-hmm. So we actually only played against other foreign teams Really in Taiwan. So once once every three months they would make a nation or like not nation. Be careful. <laughs> um, they would make a island-wide uh,
2: tournament that every every team would go and participate on. Um, you know, I should just interject here and say that we're we're going to be using the terms of football and soccer interchangeably here. Um, Dan and I are both from the states, and and uh, you guys may have picked up from the the beautiful brogue that uh, Macaulay here is a Scotsman. Um, and so uh, we, you know, we it's uh, two two different terms for the same thing. And um, I think act- we could all agree on
0: just football, right? Football,
2: yeah, football. Um, yeah. You know, I, Dan was just saying before we came on air something that I agree with wholeheartedly, which is that as an American uh, living out living internationally, it's kind of a lose lose situation with how you choose to refer to the sport because if you call it soccer, people look at you like, oh, you're a stupid yank. Uh, You know, you use this term that's not recognized by the rest of the world. But if you say football, then people will think because you're an American that you're talking about American football. So it's you you run the risk of either being seen as provincial or being misunderstood. So just, uh, yeah, we'll we'll use those interchangeably here. Fair enough. Yeah, no, no confusion. (laughs) Um, So when you came out to Chengdu, did you get involved in the uh, local soccer scene here immediately? Um,
1: Pretty much so, after a couple of months. I think I was injured, Um, surprise, surprise, when I arrived. And uh, it took me a couple of months to, you know, settle down. Right. And um, I I came here in November 2007. yeah. Yeah. And I think it was probably around about the following summer that I started to go and play with the Wanderers. There was actually a, a charity tournament of some kind and we entered like a leg and whistle team. Mm-hmm. And I went there and I kind of met the guys that were playing for the, the um, Wanderers at that time and then got invited down to their practice.
2: So maybe uh, we should talk a little bit about the background of the Wanderers and what the, uh, the local expat football scene was like at that time. Yeah, um, well, I mean, there, w- there
1: weren't that many people here. You go back to 2007, and anyone that's been here a length of time will know that it's nothing like now. You know, there were far less choices. I mean, you were talking about a hamburger costing you 25 quai or something like that. It was just like... And there was like two places you could go in the city that done decent ones. Like,
2: sure, nothing but Chinese beer, none of this home homebrew, uh, imported none of stuff, none, none, of, none that, of this I... great options of Western food. There was no Uber. It was a much, much less cosmopolitan city at that time. And... Uh, I just st- numerically a lot a f- lot fewer foreigners here.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's what comes down to quite a lot. I think it's just sheer numbers, because at that time we had maybe twenty five guys that were good at football, and now there's maybe like two hundred guys that are good at football. So like when
2: when more numbers come in, then the quality obviously increases. Right. So the uh, the team that you joined when you arrived was the uh, Chengdu Wanderers, and that was a, a team made up of local expats from a wide variety of countries that was playing in a local Chinese league in the city, a local amateur league. Yeah, that's right. Um, and um, can you tell us, what was the makeup of the, the squad like when you joined it? Um, I, I mean, we, we should say here that, that both I and Dan have played for the Wanderers at various times, and, and you know, one of my impressions of it was that it was always a, a pretty diverse organization.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had a couple of Chinese players We had um, a guy from Japan, Um, we had Americans, but probably mostly Europeans, but I mean from all over Europe, Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of French, British, I'd say probably the French, British and Americans were the main kind of foreign contingent, and then Mm -hmm. you had some Dutch guys, some German guys, and then people from all kinds of random countries. We also had
0: um, quite a few guys from Nigeria at that time too. So when I joined the Wanderers, uh, my first year in Chengdu in 2011, um, I guess it had already been around for a while, and uh, you guys had been uh, around the circuit of of Chinese teams in this particular Chinese league a couple of times. Um, so I, I felt like a bit of a latecomer, but it was a, it an amazing um, boost to my social life. Uh, really, uh, It was an amazing way to meet a lot of people that I wouldn't have met otherwise. And so uh, I... Am sort of indebted to to that social circle for a lot of the connections and a lot of the the good associations I have with my life in Chengdu right now. Um, but uh, so when I was playing in 2011, was that was that one of the last seasons, or when when did it sort of dissolve?
1: I was gone by then. But mm-hmm. like just before we move on, I think that's quite an interesting point because it still actually is. Like if you're a new person coming into Chengdu and you're interested in football, mm-hmm. the, the leagues. Far bigger, there's far more people, but you're still going to get to
0: know a lot, a lot of people if you join a team. Right, right. Beyond right. the Wanderers, playing in the in the yeah. uh, C I F L right yeah. now, the International Football League. It is, uh, it's such a great group of people, and it is such a great way to meet people, and it's an instant in. I mean, we all already have something in common being foreigners living abroad, but then uh, joining that even smaller. Uh, more tight knit group of people who share share soccer in common. Also, you know, gives you that common ground that uh, makes it really easy to get on.
2: Yeah, and you know, I think in expat communities all over the world, um, sports organizations have a similar kind of social function that you know bring people together with a common um, a common background and and um, give you a little bit of a flavor of home when you're in an unfamiliar unfamiliar environment. Um,
1: so, the Wanderers. Um yeah, it was kind of like, um, there were a lot of politics in that league. And, and this uh, is the Chinese league. This is the Chinese, it's it was, still going actually, it's called the the City League. So it was like the the top division that you could play in Chengdu, or in the whole Sichuan actually. And uh, some of the teams were semi-pro at the top ends of that, um, like Zhonghe were semi-pro. It's now a team, a new team called E-Fung that are semi-pro, and that means they pay their, they pay all their players. Mm. And the other team that were really good were called uh, Laoyo, or maybe the foreigners will
2: know them as Bobby. Bobby.
1: Yeah, they and, were uh,
2: sponsored by a, a local bar that was very popular five or six years ago. Yeah, called Bobby. Were mm-hmm. you ever um, uh, part of the the representation for the organization? Did you ever go to the league meetings?
1: I tried to stay out of all that <laughs> stuff. But, I mean, you really needed someone that had good Chinese to go down. But um, when things started falling apart, I kind of stepped up into that role for maybe like six months. But by then, my decision was already
2: made that I was going to step away and try and start something new. Right. So, I mean, um, you know, just to put it bluntly, we never got along very well with... Um, the administration of the league. There was there was constantly conflicts between the foreigners and the officiating teams, the the referees, and uh, and also with the league management. And um, I think in a lot of cases we felt like we were being discriminated against, or the the refereeing was not fair, and there was a little bit of local bias. And um, and there was probably some of that. I, I always felt like um, part of it was just. Um, Run of the mill, garden variety competence, just not having particularly high standard of officiating, which is hard to do, and is sort of like a kind of infrastructure that gets developed with time, and mixed in with a with a little twinge of uh, of local of local favoritism, um, and then I think it was I, I think that was exacerbated by our reaction to it, our reaction to it.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, there was uh, there's some other things that like I didn't like got to the point when you've been doing it for like four years and you go out there and uh, every time you step on the pitch it's like some kind of ancient race battle between (laughs) China and like the rest of the world and it just shouldn't be that I wanted it to be fun and to be a game of football Mm -hmm. and it felt like there was a lot of extra baggage for some of the other teams we played against Mm -hmm. that they would kind of let out their frustrations at whatever. Mm-hmm. against us
0: yeah yeah i mean we uh more recently uh just a couple months ago we entered a five on five tournament uh, organized by the city and there was sort of a flashback to that because we were the only foreigner team in this chinese tournament and uh you know a lot of us had this this feeling that we were be the officiating was not fair towards us and uh you were in uh, andy were in the uh like captain's chat right and and yeah. after after we had our first match we we sort of um, uh, I, I don't know the best way to describe it not very smartly beat the first team we played 27 zero um, which made the rest of the teams not Thank really, you.
2: really like you?
0: Yeah, not really, really like us. And uh, and so there there was some shit talking going on in the in the captain's chat, right? And, yeah, and, I mean and, the, but, but you had a really nice response to it, and that's that's what I wanted to highlight. What did what did you say to the to the other captains when you know they were making this sort of a uh, China versus foreigners type yeah. of narrative?
1: Well they they have a different like uh, idea of respect you know, and like, there's like this, you can't lose face, so maybe we should have only beat them 5-1 or something, and then just kept the ball for the other 55 minutes of the game, and for us, I mean, this this even goes to, like, we play a training game and we go in hard mm-hmm. and we don't stop, and people are shouting at each other, and you know, they felt that it was disrespectful, and um. My reply was along the lines of that. Um, no, I mean we respect every opponent and respect for me is shaking your opponent's hand after the match, regardless of what the score is. Not just walking off the pitch and you know, uh, they killed us or we killed them. You know, you, you after the game you have played the game, the game's finished. You go and shake someone's hand and you walk off, and that's that's how I felt about it. But there are issues here. I mean, it was a terrible scoreline but there, i mean there was other teams that could be 10 10 nil and stuff like that so i mean ours was quite a little, bad. little excessive yeah it was but i mean they just gave up at you know two or three now mm-hmm. and then we just kept on playing but it was the first time we'd played together a lot of the guys in that team as well so right. we were so actually we were, we were trying, trying to, to figure things out yeah
0: um but but that aside i think uh, an- another thing that you touched upon in your message to the other captains that that you later sent to us was that uh, when we step onto the field and we we see an opponent we don 't see a Chinese opponent or a yeah. foreign opponent. we just see you know we're there we 're just there to play football you know we 're not wanting to get into this
1: this race battle of it's us v you We just come to play football and we were invited to come and play in that tournament it 's not like the guy that ran the tournament had a team in the CIFL. Mm -hmm. So he knew us, like he knew how we played. Um, But I mean, the other guys really took some offense. And then later in the tournament, when we got beat, they were, you know, all like, it was like, ah, like the national pride. It's like, man, your time of having the chance to play for your national team is, is gone, my friend. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) there's no one representing their company, their country out here. You're just representing yourself and your team and your friends. So, You know, cello a bit.
2: Yeah, I I think that that um, both in football competitions in China and across the world, one of the biggest enemies to friendly spirited play is nationalism, and there is a strain of nationalism um, that that seeps into. Uh, the officiating and to the spirit of the players in a lot of these contests anytime you 're playing in a kind of multi ethnic uh, scenario um, and it's uh, I think it 's a challenge that you know can bring out the best in us and um, and and bring out our our spirit of sportsmanship and and, and friendliness and camaraderie and uh, can also bring out some of the real nastiness um, and when when we were playing for the wanderers you know there's plenty of times where I felt a lot of camaraderie with the Chinese people that we were playing against, and there yeah. were there were even people in the league who were very um, understanding of of the difficulties and um, welcoming. You know, I, I don't want it to seem like we're just ragging on those guys for trying to to um, to use us as like representations of foreign devils there were people who really valued the participation of foreigners and were trying to elevate the standards of the league um and then there were some all other really ignorant backwards xenophobic um people in there
1: it 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 was yeah i mean it was unfortunate um
2: how things ended
1: but um i remember one game that like ended in a fight what was the what was the team that um, Jinyo. Jinyo,
0: right that was that was the most horrifying thing I've ever seen actually and and uh, yeah, I think you know maybe uh, in terms of frequency, um, we more frequently saw good sportsmanship and 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 could achieve that level of camaraderie with with our Chinese opponents but when when it turned bad, it turned really really bad and this 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 it wasn't it wasn't a fight between us and Ginio it was the Jinyo players beating the crap out of the referee. Yeah. All right. Let's take a step back and work up to Jin Yu okay. because I, I
2: think that the dissolution of the Wanderers and our participation in that league is a good segue into the the origins of ADI and the CIFL. Sure. Um, but to talk about sort of the timeline of what happened to the foreigners in the league um, when you joined, I think it was was it Rob Tong who was yeah. who was yeah. running it, and yeah. Rob Rob was one of the founders of the the team, correct? Yeah. yeah sure. Rob yeah. being, I guess, his hometown club. In uh, in England was Bolton Wanderers, and so that's why he dubbed us the Wanderers. And um, you know, Rob was a was a real nice guy and a friendly guy, and and um, a guy who who got along well with local Chinese people. But you know, one of the common themes of people who end up um, leading these kinds of organizations is. You have a lot of good experiences, and you have a lot of trying experiences, and sometimes there's just an accumulation of negative experiences in a certain amount of time, or it hits you on a bad day, and you just kind of eventually get fed up with it. And I think that's essentially what happened with him. You know, you you spend a lot of time running an organization, and you're when you're devoting a lot of time and energy to it, because I mean, we should say it was. Um, It was really time intensive to 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 participate in that league because we'd have to go and um, rent a bus and, and for away games, maybe spend an hour, hour and a half going there, an hour and a half back. You're basically spending a whole day doing it. So when you end up having a bad experience, you can very easily start to question the whole enterprise. Is it really worth it for me to, like, spend all this time organizing people and, and putting together the bus and taking the trip and spending my whole day just to walk away from it at the end of the day feeling really sad and alienated? Um,
1: <laughs> I, guess, I guess it's all down to your personal threshold because, like, the, what you've described there is kind of rings true for me. It was like four or five years before it was enough Mm -hmm. For me, I couldn't couldn't be doing with it anymore, you know? So, yeah, it's similar similar to that. There's just, it was like one, if it was one isolated situation, then I would never, you know, just walk away from it. But then it kind of all builds up. And then over time, it's like, I I don't really want to do this anymore.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I... I think a lot of us got jaded over time, but at the time that Rob bowed out of, of uh, running the league, he was the manager at the time, it was over an incident that, to me, seemed pretty pedestrian within the course of the kinds of prejudice that we had encountered. Against Gigno, too. That was also remember. against Ginio, is that true? Yeah. Uh, I had re- problems with
1: them pretty much every time we played them. In fact, if you even want to go back... Oh, I know, yeah. You remember... I do. ...the time at the prison yard where That's, they surrounded us after the game? And I we do. had to kind of, like, it was the guy Clinton, his yes. girlfriend, one of them kicked a football at her yes. and like, was slating her for being with a with a
2: foreign guy. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, the prison yard was a, a local in-town pitch that we played on for a while, and we had a conflict with Yu at a game there that just ended up in kind of an angry like acrimonious exchange of of curses after the game but no no physical confrontation and then uh the event where where rob ended up leaving was it was an away game Mm -hmm. and i remember that It was at a a set of fields where there was uh, some children who had been playing, and the children had all finished, so the the side of the field was all lined with parents and children who were watching our our game, and I think that kind of contributed to a really nationalistic vibe, and the refs were calling it quite unfairly, and I remember specifically we used to have a tall German striker named Matthias, and uh, he was okay. He had some skills in the air, you know, not a great finisher, but uh, (laughs) pretty good with his body. And uh, he got red carded um really inappropriately quite early in the game.
1: Their guy elbowed him like there was a corner we were waiting. we were going to defend the corner, I think, and he was just in there marking his guy and the guy the guy stamped on him and then elbowed him, and then he kind of turned around and the guy fell over, and their players went and surrounded the ref and and who hadn't seen anything
2: and oh, it was pressured one of
1: those. him into... To yeah, then, sending the guy off when we hadn't done nothing. You know, it's not it's not like the pressure that can be applied to a referee, but you know, if you if you haven't seen anything, you can't really... You can't make the call. You can't make the call. I,
2: I remember very clearly at that time, we had a little bit of a huddle right after the sending off, and Rob said, let's not finish this game. Let's just leave. Yeah. Let's just walk off right yeah. now. And we, we rallied back from that, and, and we stayed, and we finished the game. And after that match, when we got back to the city, or maybe you know a couple days later, Rob gave notice to the, the members of the team. Look, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want to be managing the team. And I believe at that time, there was sort of an interim committee that was composed. And you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were the captain at that time. And you began to, to be the interim manager, right? I think you were the captain at that, at that time. <coughs> no, no you were, it, was, it was still you. It was right. still you. And I think you agreed well, to... Well, I'd,
1: I'd, I'd been doing... I'd been helping Rob out for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I'd been doing like assistant manager, taking training sessions, helping deal with the finances, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, when he left, I really didn't want to take over running the team just because I was kind of feeling similar to what he was feeling. And then I got put in the situation
2: where I couldn't do anything else. If, and I think you may recall there was a there was a powwow that we had at the Shamrock, and it was you, myself, Anel, and um, Soabi
1: maybe.
2: And Soby. And Toby, yeah, and those were the people who were who were sort of um, gonna kinda take over the reins in Rob's absence until the next year. That was after that. That was after he that left. That was after that. No, because when Rob left, I just you just took over, yeah, and and did it. That was when I decided that I was going to leave. Right, like so that was when you were giving your later. notification, yeah. and that was, I guess, towards the end of the season. The next year,
1: I I kept on. I, I just took. I was trying to convince Rob to stay till the end of the season because I didn't think it was a a good thing to leave halfway through the season. It wasn't, and uh, yeah, well, hey, you know, he gave he gave a tremendous amount to the community, yeah, so I he do, did. don't he mean did. I don't mean anything by that. Yeah, he did. Um, so I kind of stepped up and did my part, but I was I was also kind of quite clear with you guys that I wasn't there
2: long term. I was just going to do it. it. It seems like at that time the idea for the the. The CIFL was probably already marinating in your mind.
1: It, it had been actually. We 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 very we came very close to doing it the season before. Uh huh. And it was there was a guy Nick Rose that was um, an, an English an English fellow lives in Shanghai. Yeah, he's a real shit.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> if you're listening in, fuck you, Nick <laughs> <Yeah>. Rose. <laughs> um, but yeah, he 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 played for a team in Shanghai, and Shanghai had their own international league. And, um, he was, Oh, he knew, of, he knew
2: that model. So you guys yeah, had thought about he was, it. Yeah. He
1: was saying, you know, we should just do this. And even if we only start with like four teams or whatever, we start it and then it'll, it'll you know, right. it'll build, we'll be able to build it up and get more people interested.
2: And I think by the time we had that meeting and you notified us that you were going to leave and go do that, there had already been another ugly incident, which was the, the Bobby fight.
1: Uh yeah, well I mean that was probably the worst. Like there's there's been, uh, I've probably seen maybe about ten fights like, um, in my time here. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of different. That from, was the that was the only think,
2: one where somebody uh, chased people across the field wielding a giant stick.
1: Uh, I was well, I think it was a metal pole of some sort. But yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: and they were like going to
1: get bricks and throwing them at our players and stuff. But that's it was like I want to say it was like a bow staff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Somebody and we had to. Both we had, actually had to sneak a couple of our players out and get them to like jump over the wall while the kind of, um, don't know what you would call the that. Fro- the fracas yeah. died down. Yeah. yeah,
2: that was a nasty scene, and it was one of those regrettable situations where, um, you know, we had some faults in it as well. I mean, it was it was a very physical game, and we were playing a team that was one of the top teams in the league. I mean, Bobby was perennial contenders. And um, there was a couple bad calls and um, a couple physical tackles. And then um, one of our guys punched one of their guys in the face. No, that's,
1: that's not how it started. There was, there was, a, the ball went out of play. It was nothing. It was a throw-in. Mm-hmm. And there was a racist comment made. To Jono. To Jono, who threw the ball at one of their players. Then one of their subs came in and, like, blindsided them.
2: Ah, okay.
1: And then, and that's like the, the the thing that with that city league was it was really easy to escalate the situation. It was like from one guy having a problem to one guy, it becomes twenty two guys on the pitch all fighting with each other. There's a lot. Just, there's a lot
2: of testosterone flowing there. <laughs> um, and you know, you also have to keep in in context that. Um, and maybe this is kind of like this in Britain as well, but for a lot of the the sort of soccer environment that I grew up in in the United States, it's a real middle-class, bourgeoisie, um, you know, youth sports team, mom and minivan kind of culture. But a lot of these guys are just straight gangsters. I mean, they're, yeah. they're guys who are in the nightlife scene. They're guys who are living in rural areas in questionable industries. They're guys who...
1: That's that's what Mel. I remember melon saying to me about Geno- Genio. Yeah, he was saying, look, those guys came up in the like the professional football systems, mm-hmm. and then at eighteen they were discarded. Yeah, and they've not been to school. They've not been to university, and you know this is all they know. And it's you know they're not as maybe educated as some other other people that you're going to meet. It's not like middle class people that we're talking about. Right, here.
2: right. They're they're, they're like uncultured athletes who are just holding on to their their fading glory and their lost dreams
1: kind of like that and then we come in and if we're beating them and we're taking the yeah we're we're young
2: we're young sort of pretty privileged westerners with chinese girlfriends and then you can kind of guess where some of that animus comes from all right so i mean
1: you you go back you talk about in the states it's definitely not like that in the uk where it's like they have the saying about the the rugby being the hooligans' game played by gentlemen, right. whereas football is the exact opposite. Right. It should be a gentleman's game, but it's played by by thugs.
2: So so, we, there was the fight with with Bobby, and, and luckily everybody got out safely. And um, after that, then you know, cut forward a couple months or whatever, and uh, you're you're notifying us that you're going to be stepping down from the management of the team, and that you're going to be going to start your own league. And um, I remember, I don't know if you remember, at that time I was furious at yeah. you. Yeah, you were. <laughs> and, and I I kind of. Um, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a very courteous uh, sort of thing, but I did, not, I did not hide my disdain because I felt like it was a really valuable project for us to try to be participating in the Chinese League, and I just didn't want to see us give up on that goal, and, and I, I, I felt like starting a foreigner league was a certain kind of segregation that, that didn't strike me in the right way, although I know that was not, not your intention. <coughs> um. um.
1: No, I mean, that wasn't in our, our intention because we had Chinese teams in the league right from the start.
2: Yeah. Um, you just wanted to improve the standard of, of officiating and administration and management.
1: Pretty much so. But if you go now and ask some people, then they might have some some, uh, some questionable some, yeah. things to say about well, that. Well, you
2: know, like, the other thing I'll say in, in, that was part of my opposition at that time was that um, I really loved playing 11s. I loved playing full field. And uh so the idea of moving to a um, a half size seven aside game uh didn't appeal to me as much. And I felt yeah. like it was going to drain a lot of the talent and uh it was it was gonna be competition for, for the talent pool of people playing on the Wanderers.
1: Well it kinda was and it wasn't, right? Mm-hmm. The Wanderers still went on for an extra year yep. while the while the CIFL was running. But I think it definitely Um, I think you're right. It was and it wasn't. You found new players from that larger pool of players that we had at the CIFL, but also then it was two games a weekend and a lot of people might get injured on the Saturday or even just have a Saturday night out enjoying themselves. And then the Sunday became a lot
2: less appealing. Absolutely. And we... You know, I think that last season of the Wanderers was probably the, the time when we were the strongest. That was probably the best team yeah. that we fielded. And it, it certainly was the case that more talent filtered in there by virtue of uh, of discovering people through the CIFL. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the, ti- the time for
1: me was just right to do it. Because um, if you remember back then, we actually had a second team called the Rovers. Mm-hmm. Right, so right. there was the the were another eleven aside yeah, team, another eleven aside team. So there was the Wanderers and the Rovers, and between them, you were talking about like sixty people, at least. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like there was uh, more people coming into Chengdu, and you know the opportunity to play football was getting less and less because there's only these two teams, and there was nobody really for the Rovers to play against. Like there was no like competitive second division in that <sighs> league. Um, so. Yeah, it was a good opportunity to do it. And, um, yeah, uh, we, we we still go through taking a living aside team through to Chongqing, and uh, we normally smash them. Hope you're li- listening in there, Chongqing. Um, but that, I always say to their captain, it's just a numbers thing. Yeah. Because they do, they only have, like, 30 people to pick from. We have, like, 200. Right. So it's, it's just obvious that that we are going to be a stronger team than them. Right. If we we have 200 players to choose from, we bring it down to 11 players. Those 11
2: players are good those quality Those are, t- are top quality, yeah. yeah. So that first year after you started the CIFL, um, the, all the guys on the Wanderers <coughs> essentially played in the CIFL and played on the Wanderers at the same time. Yeah. And I, I, I guess that was when, uh, Dan, you arrived in Chengdu. hmm yep. And uh, Dan and I were on the uh, the uh, the... The Wanderers, and also played in the CIFL the first year and um, won the league if I if I remember correctly.
0: I think you're remembering correctly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, and played one more one more season uh, in the in the Chinese league as well before things kind of fell apart there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, uh, I guess I don't know if it was I don't think it was concurrent, but I played my first CIFL league and then my first Wanderers or my first CIFL season and then my Syphil season. <laughs> my first uh, CIFL season. Your and first bout with syphilis. <laughs> and then and my first Wander season, like back-to-back. Back. And I had an obvious, like very, very queer preference for, for the Foreigner League because of the things you were just sort of describing and the, the, the things that are sort of typical of the City League. I think it was
1: more fun. Like, we tried to do that. We tried to get, like, music at the pitch, and we got the pitch selling beer and I mean, now if you go down, it's a good way to spend your Saturday. You go oh, down absolutely. at twelve o'clock, and you're you're still there at five or six, drinking beer, listening to music, and watching the other teams play. Yeah, and that so, speaks
2: to the sort of social dynamic that we were talking about before. It, it feels more like a community.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, was, it was interesting because then we we when we first started it, we did it, it was countries against countries, right? Mm-hmm, so you right. guys were the North Americans, were you? Or Were you? Were uh, you, or actually US, te- no, you were USA. You Team and there America. Was US two. Team America, weren't you? Team America. Yeah, so there was, like, a British team. There was, like, a Chinese team. There was a European team, which was, like, all the other European countries. And I think France had a team, too. Mm -hmm. There was two American teams. Two American teams, yeah. 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 Well, I think that was a point where there was a lot more Americans here compared to, like, other nationalities as well. Though, like, I feel like
2: it's more... Look, if you know. want to attribute our victory to some sort of statistical anomaly, you
1: can...
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can. I'll go continue to do that, yeah. <laughs> um, but you you were talking about how uh, when we go down to Chongqing, we usually crush them because we just have more foreigners here, and following that line of thought, there are, because there are more foreigners here than there were uh, when I first lived here, That during the first civil season in 2011, I guess, the quality of the Play has increased dramatically it's incredible yeah. right now <coughs> the the quality it's some of the the highest quality football i've been playing my whole life
1: yeah i mean you're a good person <coughs> to that because you were here right at the start <coughs> and then you moved away and then you came back yeah. so uh, it's it's easy to see the progress maybe if it's like season by season it increases then it's not really it's a little bit more it's, it's more difficult to to mm-hmm. pick up on yeah so the third season in the cifl what, what season are you guys on right now? Uh, geez, maybe the ninth, I think. Ninth. But we do, we do two seasons a year. So it suits the students and the teachers that are here working. So we don't play July and August when everybody's away. We don't play two months at Chinese New Year. Right. So we run September to December as one competition. And then March to June is one competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, after your glorious triumph, um, I believe we had a bet. And this was, this actually made one of the Chengdu living threads of the year when they had the the year-end review. Can you, can you recall that at all?
2: I mean, you know, I, I understand that you don't want to dwell too much on my glory and you would like to draw attention to some sort of <laughs> trivial, you know, bar side wager, um, that, uh, that may have taken place, but, uh. No, but now, I think but it was down there in
1: black and white. No, it, didn't, it may, <laughs> may have taken place. It, it did take place, and everybody in the forum read about it. <laughs> um,
2: you know, I, honestly, I don't remember exactly what the, the terms of the bet were. Maybe you can refresh my memory.
1: Mm. I think we had four separate bets or five separate bets. Uh-huh, okay. Because it kept on like it was like... I think you're Is right. Is that yeah. all you want to bet? And yeah. I was like, well, why don't we bet some more money on something else? And you were like, okay. Yeah. And then it kind of. That sounds a lot like me. <laughs> it went up a hundred quiet at a time. And I think we
2: had five separate bets. And what, well, well, again, well, I, I'm not even playing uh, dumb. I, maybe it's because I feel like I may have lost. And so I could have blocked out this memory. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Although well, I re- I t- remember t- our victory, our wire to wire dominance of the first season, <laughs> very clearly.
1: <laughs> no, well, I mean, we, at, at that time we were like the British team or whatever, and there weren't that many Brits here. And we were, we were really bad. Yeah, we were terrible. And, um, you guys were the the dominant team, or one of the dominant teams, and uh, I knew we champion.
2: Were, I think is the word that you were looking for.
1: <laughs> dominant teams, you know. Um, I knew that we had three new players that were really good, mm-hmm. and they all ended up playing for the Wanderers that season. It was uh, Tom, Nick, and Alan. Sure, right. And I knew that those three guys were coming into our team, so I was being a bit like, okay. You're you better being, watch out this season because we were coming for you and you were like, oh, man, you guys are shit. You finished in the last place or whatever, and you, you know, you're know, you not going to destroy us. We're the champs, blah, 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 you know? And then, uh,
2: yeah. So far, this seems like a credible account, yeah.
1: I think there was one, it was, I was going to score more goals than you. <laughs> um, there was a bet on when our two teams met. There was a bet on... Finishing position in the league I can't recall the, the other ones But there were like several There was
2: some There was some about who was going to score more goals Yeah And I lost that one You scored more than me Yeah Right
1: um, And then there was the I wouldn't score against Playing directly against you But then if you remember you, I played in goals in that game But
2: right, you did not score against
1: <coughs> I was in goals man I was injured and I had to play in goals Because we didn't have a goalkeeper and it, I, I, it, That
2: really is totally irrelevant. That's, to, that's, that's really totally irrelevant. What, was there a bet against me not scoring against you guys? Because I do remember scoring against you guys off of a long pass from Pan Man. I believe I nutmegged Pete. That was in a game that we were were, were wiping you guys out. Or maybe maybe this was a separate bet. I yeah, don't, don't
1: recall that bet. But I, 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 do,
2: I do remember there was another bet... Um, that involved whether or not I was going to score against you guys and I did not score it might, have been the, it might have been one of those
1: five that we were talking about right? because um, I remember I actually went because I knew that I was playing in goals I went to the bank and exchanged money into five jowls
2: <laughs> so I came down with like this huge wad of five jowls to pay you your money for the bet <laughs> uh, yeah um, okay, well, I, I'm glad it's clearly established that uh, you, at one point, won some kind of bet. All right, okay. Is this the podcast
1: over? I, I, really go home. I, think, I think we've
0: covered all the important topics. <laughs>
2: okay, so um, just to sort of put a bow on the, the mm-hmm. Wanderer story, uh we, we played for one more season that overlapped with the CIFL. Uh, it went well. A lot of great players were discovered. Then we kind of folded up the tents and it shifted only to CIFL. And you guys have been running the CIFL very successfully for the past few years. You've seen a lot of growth. You've seen um, improvement in the quality of play. And uh, I, I take it you've seen improvement in the quality of officiating and, and management. I mean, can you speak a little bit about the, <coughs> the challenges of running a league logistically in terms of finding pitches, finding refs, and, you I mean, know, the, uh, the, the, the problem is
1: People are always going to have problems with refs. And it's, uh, yeah, it's something that, um, that we have to, as a league, sometimes step up and protect the refs a bit. And uh, last season, there was a couple of instances, especially when things just went way over the top. Not not violence of any sort, not hitting the refs, um, but just the abuse that the refs got. And then it's like it's sometimes like, I mean, the league now means a lot to a lot of people. There was a, a German guy in the league and I was saying, oh, people should calm down. It's just football. And he was saying, well, we work Monday to Friday and this is what we're looking forward to at the weekend. Um, and he's not the only person who feels that way. No, no. I mean, it's, it's like a really enjoyable part of of being in Chengdu, having a competitive league like this. Um, it's a release valve for yeah, a lot of people. But then with that comes aggro. And there might be even like you're you're meeting someone in the bar on the, the Saturday night and they're pissed off with you because you kicked them in the leg. Some of that does go on. But um, I don't know. We We just need to encourage... Um, people not to kind of behave like that and at the end of the day we're all we're all here living in Chengdu so should try to
2: to get on foster that kind of friendly community how do you uh how do you find your refs how do you get get good refs and and train them and bring there's, them up
1: there's been a Brazilian guy here for years called Luis you both know and um he's he's a ref and he's ref the city league he refs all over um Sichuan actually now quite often goes down to Jin Yang to referee he's, games he's, there in the He's he's real uh, class. Yeah. Classy guy, good quality ref. He sorts out all the refs mm-hmm. because um also I think I'm still Im- involved in a team and our uh, the the other organizers are too. So it's best that we keep out of the the refereeing decisions and he sorts the refs out mm-hmm. and then there's some kind of impartial you know it's not like we are we're sitting there um concocting up who's going to ref and then there can be any accusations thrown.
2: Right. You know? are, are there uh, bylaws for the league that are written down on paper? I yeah. mean, yeah. did you guys sort of gradually build those up and elaborate those <coughs> as the years went on?
1: Um, most of it was done in one shot because there were issues. We What we did was we created uh, like a, a committee. So mm-hmm. it was like all the, the, the long-standing captains, the five guys sat in this committee to decide about any kind of discipline matters and then there was some things that come in that were just like off the book you know and nobody knew how to deal with them and uh, people were complaining sometimes a ban was one like maybe three matches, one one time it's only one match and we need to kind of clarify stuff so mm-hmm. yeah we, we sat down, we looked at a, a lot of leagues similar to ours um, to try and see what they were doing and then we came up with our own and stuff yeah. so that's like quite a, quite a lengthy document did, but, uh, it's on the do, website
0: did you do any organizing while you were living in Taiwan before you moved to Chengdu I was like the
1: assistant manager of the team there oh cool and uh, yeah I'd done a lot of the
0: training sessions mm-hmm. with the team but you didn't have, have anything a cap- I captained them as well you didn't have anything that resembled a league like Sifil here
1: no no because like um, what it was is like the I lived in Kaohsiung which is in the south, and then there's like four main cities in um, in mm-hmm. Taiwan. So you've got uh, Tainan, Taichung, Kaohsiung, and Taipei. And every three months, the city would host a, a tournament. Mm-hmm. So there were two teams in Kaohsiung, and we were equally responsible for organizing one tournament a year. Mm-hmm. And and teams would travel all over, but they were respons- we could give them some ideas, oh, here are some hostels, there are some good places to stay, but they were, they got their own travel. They, they mm-hmm. sorted themselves out. We booked the pitches, we booked the refs, we had music and food at the
2: pitch, but that was, that was about it. It seems like, um, there's two kinds of challenges when you're running the league and, and one is sort of, um, coordinating the conflicts between players and, and the refs. And one of them is sort of keeping the tempers cool when it comes to the, uh, the tenor of competition between the two players or between the two sides. And, um, uh that's i think that can be really difficult i I have you guys do you think it's more difficult to control people's anger towards the refs or to control people's anger at each other i I understand that there's been a couple incidents over the past couple years where where teams have gotten into conflicts or players from specific teams have gotten into conflicts outside of the pitch related to uh, the the competition itself
1: um yeah i mean it's maybe happened once or twice but i don't think it's a It's not something that would happen regularly. And it's not, not not
0: a defining feature of the league, I guess. No.
1: I mean often what we'll ha- if it, if it happens on the pitch, often it'll actually be the teammates that will come over and take the one guy that's going crazy away. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot a lot of that happens. And um I think mostly it's just verbal. Mm-hmm. Everybody shouting at each other and it's like during, when you're on the pitch you know sometimes you get caught up in the moment and you're shouting abuse at someone but I said earlier about shaking hands after the the game for me, it should be left there on the pitch and if you have a problem with someone, okay you go and shake their hand and you talk about it, or you you know have a beer or do whatever you know but it's not it's very rare to have something carrying over it has happened, but it's very rare,
2: yeah, and i you know in some ways that's that's <clears throat> inevitable that's kind of the um, that's the byproduct of creating something that people are very emotionally invested in. And, you you know, one of the things that makes this competition great and compelling is that there are stakes and that people do care about it. But um, with their the stakes and with people caring about it comes the possibility that emotions overflow and people can't quite control themselves. It's,
1: it's a bit different when, um, like... The years, the team called Tiki Taka that kind of dominated the league for three seasons. A- after
2: after the Americans won in that first year,
1: after that, yeah, <laughs> after that, after that came real dominance. But those guys never lost a like a league fixture for like three years or three seasons, consecutive seasons or something like that. But that would be and
2: after after I <laughs> <our> left. <laughs> Yeah, that would be after you left. Because I remember them losing to me in the last season that I played. I don't know if you recall that was a 3 2 match. Uh, um, uh, Korean striker, what's his name? Piao. Piao Piao scored three goals. Anyway, just just popped in my mind there, but go ahead.
1: Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I think when when they were winning and they were dominant and nobody could get near them, I mean, our team, Deportivo Panam, were the closest to them. And we beat everybody else but couldn't beat them. And it was, they were just so much better than everybody that it was hard to get that kind of rivalry. This last season, going into the final day of the season, there were three teams that could win the title. And then that's when aggro starts happening because everybody's fighting with each other, everybody's close. And even in the second half, of that game the 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 number one the champion team changed like about three times during the course of the second Ah, half wow that's so exciting but i mean with the excitement also comes the aggro because it's really at that point it's getting to it means something to people you're getting like you know you can say i'm the champion of the syphilis crew i don't know
0: (laughs) so much pride some changes to this upcoming season right <clears throat> a little bit we're changing pitch
1: mm-hmm. um and the plan is the season after this we're going into two divisions so we were going to do it this season but then we kind of thought it's unfair to relegate teams without, without them having, having known notice, yeah i'm um, just putting them into the second division yeah but the plan is uh, we, we've changed pitch we found a much nicer pitch um because we had some problems. Like, the, the pitch that we played at was at Huashi, which is opposite the hospital in Remy mm-hmm. Perfect location, subway stop next to it, but the pitch is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lose, like, we lose about 4,000 quai worth of football a season playing there because they've got uh, the... How uh, Because they get kicked over the fences, they go into housing oh, oh, complex. you complexes. lose it in
0: footballs? Yeah. Like, in the actual balls.
1: 4, yeah, 4, and thousand? That, yeah, Yeah, yeah. That's so much. That's a lot of money, yeah. But it's uh, you know it's difficult. You know you know how the fences are there, and you uh-huh. kick it over, and it goes into this housing complex. Yeah. And by the time that someone goes round, goes out of the university onto the main road, round. Into Some the student has a new football. Yes, yeah, <laughs> an expensive football. <laughs> yeah. So we're moving pitch, um, and the the surface is a lot better. It's got a running track around it. So we where are you guys won't. moving? It's the University of economics and technology i think okay um i don't know finance economics and technology i think so like first ring road north
2: so um you know i'd like to talk a little bit more about um adi as well (laughs) but before we sort of move on from the topic of uh of the cifl and and of uh, of the wanderers maybe um do you have any particular uh, memorable and, uh, and cinematic moments in your, your history of playing football here in, in Chengdu that you can recall? Um, really, really awesome, memorable times. I think that what you were just relaying there about the, the, the second half of the, the final game last season where the title was up in the air, that sounds like it was a really exciting moment. That was a nail-biter, yeah.
1: Yeah, that was that was great. Like, it was my team that won. So, yeah, that was a very memorable <laughs> moment. Um. Yeah, personally, or just like for the league, or e-
2: either way. I mean, uh, moments that you did something really awesome or, or really exciting moments that that you were a part of. I, I can re- remember a few. And um,
1: scored, I scored twice from the halfway line with with, with with wonders. So that was kind of that's very unusual. <laughs> I scored, scored. I don't mean in practice.
2: The, I mean actually in match know, play. In a game in the game <laughs> in, a, in a league game. Was that in the a single game? Inside,
1: uh, no. But one of it was the complete Mahatrick. Really? Yeah. So wow. that's kind of nice. But uh, yeah, I think the for CIFL, the last two seasons have came down to the last day. Uh-huh. And uh, the season before, the one that just finished, uh, it was one number one v number two. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a really exciting game to watch. And everybody that was part of the league was there around the pitch, watching, drinking beer and, you know, having a good time um this most recent one for me obviously better because my team won yeah uh, Dan's part of that team too um but yeah during the second half I think at half time the way it was both team both games were a draw mm-hmm. so we were it was like three teams on the same points it was only goal difference separating them and uh yeah that draw would have been good for us because we were top and then the other the other team that was in third got a goal, which meant they were on top. Mm-hmm. Then we lost the goal, which mean, meant that we were in third. And the team <laughs> we were playing against was on top. Yeah, And then we came back to beat them uh, by you a goal, and that put us, put us, uh, put us clear. Wow. So yeah, it was a bit of a nail-biter. But you must like,
2: have been screaming from the sideline. Me? I was, on, I was,
1: I was actually one of the... the the very few games that I played that season, I was on. I was on at the final whistle.
0: Yeah, I wasn't going to miss that chance to to be yeah. in the final match. That's, um, the, that's the beauty
1: of being manager of the team. Like, okay, I'm on now. You're, you're <laughs> <up. Yeah. laughs> good goal, good goal. You're <laughs>
2: out. You're yeah. get some rest. Get some rest.
0: <laughs> but but all the credit really goes to our forty-something-year-old La- uh, Latvian defender who scored all three of our goals in that match. Oh, was that Gatis? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> scored a hat trick. Wow.
1: Yeah. We had some really good players last year. The guy Seb as well. Young he played at a, yeah, he played at like a really high competitive level in France. So mm-hmm. like a like almost semi pro level mm-hmm. in, in France. Um and he's like twenty one. Yeah. So Shit. he was there was like a game where he was out all night and he came straight to the pitch and he was still or like he still ran more than anybody mm-hmm. else yeah. in our team just unbelievable like it's it's great to be young i'm wheezing after 20 yards
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's nothing nothing like youth actually i remember when uh when dan first showed up uh that was his calling card was his his speed and his power and it was a it was a real boost for us on the on the wanderers and on the uh, cifl teams Yeah, that's every day (laughs) That's China for you. Let's get back
1: in training. There's a new season starting in yeah. two weeks.
2: Yeah, I, I remember. I don't know if you were there. Mm-hmm. I guess it was the last season uh, for the Wanderers when we had uh, we had an, an equalizing goal against Jong in the final seconds of a game um, that was scored by uh, Robin, another another little Scotsman.
0: Yeah, I wasn't there, but I read your match report, which was like, <laughs> "Oh my gosh!" I forgot about the match reports. That that was actually like the best part of. Joining the Wanderers, um, <laughs> yeah. Those uh, you, Eli, Eli was on the
1: mailing list, especially for it. <laughs> yeah, Eli. Yeah, after I left Chengdu,
0: I I, I uh, unsubscribed from a lot of uh, mailing lists except for that one because I, w- I would be home uh, in in New Jersey or New York, and I would get an email from Eli, this incredibly detailed match report, and you have to wonder, like, did he videotape it and rewatch it <laughs> and type this up as he was watching it? Um, yeah. Ama- amazing, really, really cinematic, dramatic write-ups of these matches. Um, even the ones that you that know didn't m- end
2: well. In, in that a, did not end we did. well.
0: Um, we should dig uh, dig up some of those that's not a bad idea especially the the description of that goal if you can find it somewhere I I believe
2: the description of that goal involved because (laughs) at that time that was when the global center was still under construction and that Jongho pitch was down there by the, the global center and uh there's, there's some sort of fabricated details in there about how, like, you know, workers hanging from the scaffolding on the side of the Global Center were said to hear the cheer emanating from the pitch miles away as the ball flew through the air like a, you know, white bolt of lightning or whatever. Yeah, that um,
1: sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, that does. It does sound sounds like something.
2: It was, those are were, those were good moments. I, I can also recall a Dan scoring a really fantastic equalizing goal. In a uh, game against Bobby or Yipin Tiansha?
0: Yipin Tiansha, yeah.
2: Yeah, super, super friends. We,
0: we ended up losing that match, I think. That, that was they one were of the ones. Team. They, yeah. they
2: were a good team. But it was yeah.
1: like there, there, there was in that league, it's like kind of a sad thing that we're not in it anymore. I mean, they play down at uh, Chuan Da. Do you know that? No, they play down at those new pitches Oh, at they Chwanda. play down there, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, Bobby, were. At that point, they had like five ex-Chinese internationalists in their team. That's right. And then we're going out there like the the head Lai or something. We're probably <laughs> going out on the, the Saturday night getting drunk, and then going to a game on a Sunday. And we could still mix it with them. Yeah. They were, they I mean they were they were good. But yeah. the younger the younger teams like your Zhonghua's and your Eping Tianchaz. They were young guys that were fast and would run a lot, but the, the Babby team, they were older guys that just knew how You're to play You're absolutely right.
2: They, I mean, they were wily vets, and that's one of the reasons that you kind of have to tip your cap to them because they were guys that did not thrive off of their raw physicality. They, they thrived off of their coordination and their sort of um, you know, tacit communication between each other. I, I remember I was talking to the guy who ran the league for a while, um, the, the nice guy. Uh, uh, what's his name, Yang Zhi. Um And uh, he said that, you know, when you guys started in the league, the average age of the guys on Bobby was 30 years old. In mm-hmm. your second year, their average age was 31. And then third year, their average age was 32. <laughs> because the same guys stayed on that team. And they just, they always knew without having to look where to make the pass because they had these set runs that were so drilled into their 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 behavior that they knew that if they were sort of penetrating the box they could do a little heel kick drop and there would be a guy you know following up behind them to take that hard shot.
1: We still we still play against them now and again but not elevens. they so they're called like Lao Yo, right? Laoyou, like old yeah. old friends. They're five aside teams called Mung Yo. Mhm. Allies, okay, yeah, sure. So, so they they were in that competition at Bashba did, um, we, did we? We didn't play them? play them, but they got to the final and got beat by the Yifeng team that beat us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team in the black that beat us two one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they are still. If you go into any competition in Chengdu, at, like a high level, everybody still knows them. They still all play football, mm-hmm. and they're still as good as they were. You know, they're just slightly older running a bit less
2: but they're still very good players. skilled yeah. yeah um so in closing maybe uh, you can tell us a little bit about your your plans for expanding adi adi um you started with two uh two other soccer players who've been around the city for a while veterans in the expat scene here and uh you guys have been around for is it a year two years now uh, a year it seems like you guys have been been growing a lot and uh it kind of suggests like maybe you guys are scratching an itch in the market or or fulfilling a need um that that maybe has been there for a while
1: um i'm not sure about that we i mean we planned to do this for quite a long time and we got lucky or unlucky depending how you want to view it with the timing of of when we came out and actually started because um Anyone with a passing interest in football will have read about the Chinese government's plans for domination of football.
0: So, do you want to give people some background in? in yeah,
1: yeah, sure. Um, well, Xi Jinping decided that he was fed up with China having a terrible football team, and he's want he wants to do something about it. So a so, top-down approaches. Mao Zedong
2: decided that he was tired. He was fed up with China having a, a, a terrible football squad. Deng Xiaoping decided he was tired of.
1: No, but so, I mean this this time it is actually different because there's a lot of money getting thrown about at the minute, and so uh, they're
2: they're trying to develop their own sort of talent development infrastructure and yeah, youth yeah,
1: grassroots grass football. So now there's like certain primary schools marked to go in. They're looking to sort out like children's competitions. And have maybe the some primary schools training two to three times a week.
0: Um, but you can't really call that grassroots, right? If it's all money coming from the government.
1: Uh, well, when I say that, I would mean like age level. Yeah. Start
0: starting from you know, starting age, from young
1: yeah. youngsters, because like I mean now it's like four years old people can start getting into mm-hmm. into the sport. Yeah. But at that age, it's a lot different. You're just trying to build an interest in the sport. And make sure the kids enjoy themselves, mm-hmm. because uh, you can't put pressure on them at that age, or they'll just reject it. And you know, it's like, did you ever get forced to learn something from your mum and dad? Right, of course. Like I, I get forced to go to the piano and I hated it. You know, so I don't play the piano now. You know, but something like that, you can you can build an
2: interest in, and then they'll be playing their whole life. So has that been a kind of competition for for ADI? I mean, there's there's other youth programs available for yeah. parents.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's why I, th- I think it has been like an advantage and a disadvantage. There's obviously more interest and there's more there's more opportunities to go and work with schools, um, and more parents are willing to let their kids go and play football. Uh, but also now there's a lot there's a lot of other companies doing the same thing. Right. And some of them don't have any background in football they've just they're just like an education company oh we're an English school right now we're going to add football because the government money's there and they think they,
2: they can make they can make some cash out of it mm-hmm. on the whole i think it's probably still benefiting you guys because it's growing the pie you know there's there's no shortage mm-hmm. of kids out there and um you guys will s- distinguish yourself with the quality of the training that you can provide and 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 uh, the the international standards that you that you hold your your team to
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there there are a few other companies now as well that are doing like they've they've got foreign coaches, mm-hmm. but like for for um, the Chengdu locals, then it's like an English lesson too. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a move in a lot of parents here, especially the the kind of richer kids, they they're kind of starting to reject the the ideas of um, the Chinese education system, the way that it's all memory based and you shout at the kid until they do
2: right. Well, I we all we a, all know that the best way to learn how to be a good football player is to you know study in a book and to do your practice, your exercises. And you,
1: you know they have a book. They brought out they brought out a textbook explaining how to control the ball. It's not something that you can. Read <laughs> they, they, did, they did. They have, and now in primary school they have that. Sure. And yes. It's like who, who's thinking about that? You know, it's not someone
2: that's involved in football. That's for sure. So, well, the, you know, if you want to have a good touch, you just need to memorize the definition of touch. <laughs> sure, but I mean. Oh that
1: kind of oh that kind of stuff it's not you're looking to create these um like creative skillful players. You don't do that by going over repetitive drills over and over and over and over again and kill all their creativity you know you, there's there's ways to kind of harness that and I think that a lot of like in the states in Europe people know about this mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah. they know about like you want to be a coach, then you can't just shout at the kids and expect them to 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 win all the time, you know, because even losing is a an important part of learning too, you know.
0: Yeah. So um I kinda wanna get into maybe a little bit more detail about what you at least think this shift in the parental mindset is here. you say it's a little bit of a rejection of the traditional Chinese idea of education <laughs> but but in my experience, coaching for you i mean I, i've I've thought a lot about this, and so when i'm there i see I see the parents uh they they stay there for the duration of the practice uh, at least on the afternoon sessions and I see it working on several levels for them um, I see like it's Obviously, they love having their kids out of their hands for a little bit. Um, they like to see their kids running around because, uh, I mean, I think it's a well-documented fact that uh, Chinese kids don't get as much exercise. At least there are not as many after-school opportunities for them to run around. Um, so it works on that level. But I also see it working for the parents in that um, at least these afternoon sessions where it's a mix of Chinese and foreign kids. It's a, it's an opportunity for Chinese parents to schmooze with Foreign parents and sort of, you know, uh, uh, get get that international mingle on.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it it is in a way. If you if you look at like say education, just in schools, there is kind of now like a there's a lot of parents that don't want their kids going to school at seven in the morning, and coming home at nine at night with like loads of homework. You know, <clears throat> I mean, there's still, there still are plenty. <laughs> That um, want their want their children to be doing that, but there's a lot now that are thinking, up oh, too much pressure on my kid at an early age, and basically destroy any kind of childhood because they, they, there's pressure there and they have to work hard
2: from when they're five years old. You know, I think that's a kind of evolution of attitudes that comes with people being a little bit more well off and um, mm-hmm. having slightly more enlightened perspectives on educational philosophy, and, and I, yeah. it's been, you know, slowly trickling into Chinese society now, and um, and and I think some of those some of those lessons have been absorbed by the the pedagogues and by the parents, um, and it's not quite as traditional as it once was, although you know yeah. it, uh, in. On the whole, the the system is still pretty rote and still pretty um, uh, intensive, but maybe maybe some of those educational techniques are starting to to take hold here.
0: Um, while well, while we're on this topic, um, any takeaways from that BBC program that they aired recently of the oh, the, Chi- the Chinese teachers going to uh, British schools? W- what what is what was this this? they're, they're sending sending Chinese teachers to British schools and uh, basically running them through what would Resemble a Chinese style of education for a certain period of time, and uh, I, I I haven't seen it myself. I only heard um, an interview with some of the Chinese teachers on NPR, um, which was kind of interesting. Obviously, it was just their perspective, but um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a mini series.
1: Yeah, there's there's um, it's like a documentary, BBC documentary, and they I think there's a couple of parts to it at least. But I just read. I had it on the BBC iPlayer, and I was ready to watch it, and it's just. I mean, sat there as an open tab yeah, for the last couple of weeks. It,
0: it, I mean, there's this this mutual fascination with each other's education styles and learning styles. I mean, the approach that you take to ADI. I mean, you talked about at the youngest age is just trying to um, get them interested in it, and not not really uh, push them too hard. But as you're your philosophy of education and, and, and you're uh, a relatively new father right now, so you must also be thinking about this for your own child yeah
1: um, i mean i don't think um, i don't think most children thrive in like a, a pressurized environment. I think you maybe as you get older and we're talking about maybe from eleven up as they start to get into the teens and then you want to to put them into um, slightly more. Um, or take them out of their comfort zone. But we didn't... Like, I mean, in Scotland, I just went back there and I was um, lucky enough to go to a few professional teams and watch them train the kids. I mean, they don't really even play, like, proper football until they get much older, you know? They, they're they just learning and they rotate the positions. They don't have a set position. They don't have a set captain. And they play lots of games where it's, it's similar to football, but it's not actually football so there's still a goal there you still have to score but there's certain rules in the game that you 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 know you have to do something like um oh you line up opposite one guy and that's the only guy that can tackle you it's Mm -hmm. like just like little variations to make it interesting and to make it fun and they're still learning all the time you know but there's no real pressure on and i think they've it's it's also it's you know Every, everybody and everybody that coaches in Europe now knows that it's more, it's more actually about the individual at an early age mm-hmm. and about getting them to get their skills to to a good level. It doesn't matter if you go out there and you get beat as a team because you might be playing your uh, your striker as your defender in this game because you, you want him to experience, oh, look at this striker's movement, that's what you should be doing. You know, it's like in, in youth sport, Really, it's an individual approach you should take, and you should focus on each individual improving.
2: Well, you know, we will uh, we'll we'll put some links up to uh, ADI's website up on the uh, show notes for this page, and um, we will uh, we'll spread the word. It's uh, it's great to see that you guys have have come out and um, you know are helping to. Um, to spur the development of, of youth soccer here. I mean, I think it's a really helpful thing and I think it's a positive thing for, uh, for all kids and, uh, and for the society as a whole. So,
0: yeah, it's, it's really a great thing to be taking part in. Um, it's, it's fun to get out there with the kids, uh, to, you know, I mean, uh, you might've had the same experience, Eli, but me growing up in, in America, all of my coaches were foreigners. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, uh, coaches from the uh, UK and I think Australia for most of my time growing up. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I mean, soccer is not the most popular sport in America and I think it took some some uh, uh, motivation by uh, immigrants or, or second or third generation immigrants uh, to sort of bring that tradition mm-hmm. of soccer to America and sort of popularize it. And I feel like we're sort of doing the same thing on uh, to it, to a certain degree,
1: you're you're getting further down the line, though, aren't you? Because I mean, the World Cup was the recent World Cup was huge in America. Yeah, it was like one of the first times where there was global, there was global coverage of just the Americans and their feelings
2: towards the sport changing. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I understand what you're getting at, Dan. Though, which is that you know um abilities nationwide in a particular sport are something that are developed over time and are built up through um, infrastructure and, and through community participation. And, and both you and I came of age within a certain generation in America that has uh, developed the fan base of American soccer. I, I think there is soccer really is measurably much more popular in America now than it was 20 years ago, 30 Mm -hmm. years ago, and um, that is due in large part to a bunch of idealistic soccer fans who were dedicated to organizing on a community level, Mm -hmm. building um, participation from the youth level, and then um, seeing their kids turn into the soccer fans that are propelling it. Now, I mean, to be totally honest, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, my father started to soccer leagues in Atlanta Georgia one of which is is the largest league in the city now um although it's it's changed names um so I have seen that firsthand how you can start with what what we had in that case was two uh, four teams of uh of, of eight or ten kids that were uh four five and six years old and uh you know that eventually blossomed into a big a big um city-wide organization so Um, you know, something that starts very small can, can grow very big and have a lasting impact over time.
0: Yeah. And the fact that there's been that vacuum uh, until just recently in the Chinese uh, recreational sports sphere, whatever you want to call it, um, that there hasn't really been anything like that, that you in ADI are part of like the first or first and a half wave of that. Um, That's I don't know. I, th- I think that has the potential to sort of revolutionize the the education and like the the growing up experience for for a lot of young Chinese kids. At least at least here in Chengdu,
1: it was something that uh, that I always wondered about for years when I was here. And it was like you you go to a park in Scotland, any park, choose your park, and there's kids kicking a ball about. It's something that you never really saw here. Even all the pitches in town are always booked by adults to play, and they're, they're really they're, there's another big movement to build more pitches here, at the moment. So there's new pitches opening every week.
2: That's it, isn't it? I mean, uh, I've always felt like what was holding back the local Chinese um, talent development was the the lack of infrastructure. I mean, yeah. soccer takes it's it takes the resources, and the resources are the fields. Um, and if you're in the inner city, okay, you can find a basketball hoop somewhere and put that up but you you really have to dedicate some green space to make a soccer pitch and that maybe wasn't wasn't factored into the urban planning when when these cities were being built
1: i mean you can find them all over they're getting built all over but mostly the the most popular areas around the third ring road Mm -hmm. especially if it's somewhere near one of the big interchanges because it's easy for people to access but even inside the second ring road not so much you're finding pitches on top of uh, residential buildings, mm-hmm. like in a cage, so the ball can't be kicked over. Um, the most recent one that um, that's just been built, actually, out in the west, and it's kind of like uh, you know, like Manhattan, the office blocks. Yeah. And instead of having that traditional Chinese garden stuff like that, they've ripped all that up and built football pitches. And it's really cool because you've got the office blocks, which is like big stands. Yeah. When you play, but it's like an interesting use of the space. But um, yeah, definitely more pitches are needed.
0: Yeah. So, so is there a lot of that, like retrofitting uh, fields into into the city? Are they they're repurposing space for, for <clears throat> that for that right now?
1: I think there's there's government incentives there. If right, you want right. if you wanted to build a pitch, now would be the time to do it because the government have like large grants to hand out if you make the pitch available during the day for like school children to use Um, but I mean I don't know what the price of land is inside the second ring road but I'm guessing it's not really appropriate to be using that land for
2: football pitches that's the rub yeah well, you know we should wrap this up for soccer-related reasons because, uh, as you mentioned to us before you came over here, uh, you want to get out so you can watch the uh, your your hometown team, the Rangers, uh, play play their match tonight. Started an hour ago.
1: Okay.
2: Well. You know, in, in closing, you know, we'd like to say thank you for coming here to talk to us and, and we will uh, try to spread the word and, and let our friends know. Um, maybe uh, you can give us a suggestion for a football-related song to go out on.
1: Um, I guess Match of the Day. Why not? It's uh, the, the, the the intro. BBC. Oh, that, BBC, that show, Match that, that,
2: that, of the Day. Yeah, I like It'd that. That's good sort of the yeah. Uh,
0: that that I song the BBC Orchestra.
2: that song has kind of a Pavlovian response in the minds of football fans. When you hear that that <laughs> music, you know there's going to be some good football highlights coming down the pipe. Yeah, sure. Nice.
0: Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Andy. Oh, thanks been a for a having pleasure me. Pleasure talking to you. Um, thank you, listener, for listening to the Chengdu Living podcast. Um, you can uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Chengdu Living. Um, Leave a comment on iTunes or rate us. Yes, please. And uh, check out our other podcasts at chungdoliving.com All right. Peace out. Peace. peace. Cheers. <laughs>